1: Good afternoon, and welcome back to Stories from Space. I'm your host, Matt Williams. And with me in the booth today is Frank White, author of The Overview Effect, Space Exploration and Human Evolution, and the co-founder of The Overview Institute. Frank, welcome aboard.
2: Thank you, Matthew. Good to be here. So
1: could you describe for us, in just in miniature, what The Overview Effect is?
2: Well, the overview effect is an experience that's been reported by astronauts, cosmonauts, and other space travelers. It's a shift in consciousness and identity that happens when looking at the Earth from orbit or on a lunar mission. Um, It has to do with really understanding or grasping, I guess would be a better way to put it, that the Earth is a whole system. It's, it's a complete entity in and of itself. The borders and boundaries that we think about, which separate countries and regions and ethnicities, those are in our minds. They're not on the planet. And I think every school child knows that intellectually. What is different is when you ask astronauts about it, they say, I knew that but I experienced it. And that's a fundamental change that's pretty profound.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And in fact, there are notable examples, isn't there, from astronauts, cosmonauts uh, who went to space and what they described. And Michael Collins said something very, very uh, iconic there. And he was the pilot of the Apollo uh, 11 mission. He was the astronaut who never got to walk on the moon, but yeah, yeah what he described seeing earth rise of the horizon of the lunar landscape there. Do you remember
2: what his words were? Well, I interviewed him for the book and uh, I remember a lot of things he said. One of the things he really talked about was that it would be so beneficial if political leaders could see what they saw. And a lot of astronauts come back with that feeling that political leaders, uh, leaders of all kinds, if they understood this holistic reality of our planet, they would not make the kind of decisions they make. They would think more along the lines of the common good and not simply about their own particular country's needs and expectations. There, there is, as I have said in the past, there's the overview. That's this experience of seeing in a certain way. And then there's the effect. And there's a the realization that humanity, we're all in this together. This is a frequent astronaut phrase. We're all in this together and we're all connected. And we need to work together more effectively. And Collins, he was very good at articulating that. And he was one of those astronauts who thought poets and writers and artists should be the Apollo crew members. But he said, unfortunately, they would crash the spacecraft. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and so he said, you know, you're left with us to try to explain what we saw, what we felt. Well, oh, yeah, and this, this is the purpose of the Overview
1: Institute. It's about fostering that kind of thinking, right? being able to transmit the astronaut experience to everyday people and people in charge anyway we'll we'll get into that in in a, a minute here i just wanted to talk more about your book here so you first published this in 1987 it was reissued in 1998 now would it be fair to say that this has gotten only more relevant with time and considerably so
2: yeah correct So it came out in 1987. The Cold War was still real. It was reissued in 1998. It was reissued in 2014. And the fourth edition just came out in 2021. Now, the biggest change has been in the number of interviews I've had with space travelers. We started with 16. I now have over 41. What is fascinating to me is... Every time I do a new edition, I reread the entire book. I reread every interview. And the structure of the book hasn't changed very much. It has only become more relevant, as you said. It has become more known. And at this point, there are people all over the world who know what the overview effect is, or they've heard of it. They think they know what it is. But the term, and this was a goal of mine, The term has become common, ubiquitous, and well-known. But, you know, the idea that if we come together with astronaut awareness, we'll be able to work together more effectively at dealing with global problems, because we'll understand the globe or the world as a system, and the problems have become increasingly more daunting Uh, The need for collaboration has become more challenging. And the other thing that's happened though, in 1987, we really didn't have the internet. We really didn't have YouTube. We didn't have all the means of dissemination we have today. Today, I have a whole cadre of people working with me to bring the overview effect down to earth, quote unquote. Uh, In other words, to Embed it in the thinking of more and more people and organizations worldwide. We're talking about how can we use it for conflict resolution? How can we use it in psychotherapy? How can we use it in many other terrestrial applications? So the need is greater, the challenge is more recognizable, and the number of people who want to use this as a tool has grown really quite dramatically.
1: Well, you touched on a number of things there. So I'm going to drill down on what has changed between 1987 and today. And yes, and and you you covered several. For one, the Cold War ended. There's the internet. There is the growth in the new space sector. Right. right? Because technically, commercial space has been around almost since the beginning of the space age, but it's only been in recent decades that it's become so very profound and, and lucrative and something that more and more players want to get in on. And yes, this is all happening at a time when climate change is essentially threatening to destroy us, our <laughs> civilization, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so it is It is very interesting, sort of the convergence of all these factors there, but that, that is sort of the age we live in, where it's like our technological progress and our presence in space is growing exponentially, and the planet is also... Heating up at a, <laughs> exponentially, yeah. So, yeah, in terms of uh, the Institute there, that was another thing you touched on. So the, the kind of work you do, the outreach you do, how do you do this? Right. You, you and your affiliated organizations and whatnot.
2: I, I did, before I say that, I did want to mention two other major changes that I didn't emphasize, but you did, or you began to anyway. When I was writing the book in 1987, I realized the overview effect What the astronauts were telling me about it was very positive. And I thought, wow, the more people who have this experience, the better. And I wrote in the book there would be two ways to do it one would be commercial spaceflight, and the other would be simulations or virtual reality. And in the last two years, there had been some really great efforts to create or recreate the overview effect in virtual reality. And as we well know, we have the very first commercial space flights where people who are not trained astronauts are experiencing the overview effect. And so that's a very big difference from when I wrote the book. And I'm grateful that I've lived long enough to actually see it happen because it is, uh, it is really, really gratifying. Uh, how do we get this done? Well, I've actually worked with two organizations, co-founded two now. One is the Overview Institute, which I co-founded with David Beaver. The Overview Institute is focused really more on research and dissemination of information about the overview effect and beginning to uh, try to understand what is truly unique and special about it and also to get the word out. And I think we've been relatively successful at that. The other organization I co-founded, and I'm now deeply involved with is the Human Space Program. Now, the Human Space Program is an interesting organization, because that is an idea I had at the end of writing the book in 1987. Another realization from writing the book was, this is really too big a job for one space program, one country. Wouldn't it be great to have a human space program, not an American or Russian or Soviet program? And I proposed a central project for all humanity to explore the universe over uh, the millennium from 2000 to 3000. I kept waiting for somebody to take me up on that and start that movement, and nobody did. So (laughs) to make a long story short, I with some colleagues have founded the Human Space Program, Inc. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. And our initial effort is to be focused on ensuring that the expansion of humanity from the terrestrial to the solar ecosystem is sustainable, ethical, and inclusive. And we intend to do that by creating a blueprint, a plan, essentially, based on the work of several task forces that will essentially lay out a plan that people can accept or modify. And the other unique feature of it is it will be a living plan in that we will embody it in a computer model that will be constantly updated. And we'll, we'll be constantly running simulations of our plan to see if it will work and to try to challenge it to try to see if it is effective
1: yeah and to address one thing that's come up a few times here now simulating the experience right right yeah i remember when i was actually writing about the overview effect a few years back yeah at the time space buzz the the project had just recently launched and that is doing exactly that right they're affiliated with the european space agency People strap on the VR goggles. So this is another development, isn't it? Virtual reality has come a long way in recent years and the whole Oculus Rift uh, and so forth. Kids can actually see real, even even real-time images of space and Earth from space. And uh, Now, on the other hand, commercial spaceflight. You know what that immediately puts me in mind of is Blue Origin and William Shatner. He was quoted there after he went to space because what he described was very much like the overview effect. And he sounded like he was still very high from it, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. His, his, his words were pretty vivid and metaphorical. And um, and also, yes, Richard Branson, who's doing the commercial flights to, to Suborbit. Now, there, there's been a lot of cynicism on behalf of people who are saying, oh, this is just recreation for billionaires and so forth. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Are they correct
2: in that or is this you know, no, a step in the right direction? No, they're not. They're not correct. When people say that, they don't really look at the vision, the ideas, the movement that is behind these flights in the sense that I've interviewed Sir Richard Branson for my book, And he is an environmentalist, and he very openly sees Virgin Galactic as a way to give more people the overview effect. Why does he want to do that? Well, just what we were talking about. He thinks it will benefit the planet for more people to have that experience. You know, Jeff Bezos is a person who was at Princeton and learned a great deal from Gerard K. O'Neill. And O'Neill in the 70s had a vision of what I call large-scale space migration. What was that vision all about? Well, part of it was to move significant numbers of people and industry off of planet Earth to benefit Earth, because we have really kind of overwhelmed the carrying capacity of our planet. So yes, did Branson and Bezos fly on the first flights? Did they have a good time? Yes, yes. Did they try to beat each other into space? Yes. But it's really like just touching the surface of what's going on here. And what we really have to do is move from missions to migration. And that is why I am an advocate of large scale space migration as a really an imperative. I really don't believe planet Earth can function with the level of technological human civilization that we now have. A lot of the problems we see, like climate change and war and other issues, are really the result of being confined to one planet, to the terrestrial ecosystem. And I'm of the opinion, and this is what the Human Space Program is working on, I'm of the opinion that the space movement and the environment, environmental movement need to come together for two reasons. One is, Large scale space migration can help planet Earth. That was the vision of Dr. O'Neill. But also, we do not want to go to Mars and the moon with the bad ideas that got the Earth into the trouble it's in. We need to cautiously and carefully plan how we're going to have lots of humans living in a larger ecosystem because, unfortunately, I am concerned that some people think, oh, once we get off of planet Earth, there's no limit. We can go anywhere. We can do anything. No, I don't think that's the right attitude either. So we, we really have to look beyond individuals. And, you know, Matthew, I've mentioned this in the past in talking to people. How much do you know about Orville and Wilbur Wright?
1: Just, um, let's say, the bare bones. They built yeah. and flew a plane. That's it. Yeah, the right yeah. bones, right?
2: Yeah. They had a bicycle shop. They did something nobody thought could be done, which was heavier than air flight. But what's important about them is what has resulted from that first effort. And I think what's important about Branson and Bezos and Musk is not the individuals, but more, what does it imply for humanity? And if you have an issue with them as individuals, then I think it's important for you to get involved and not leave it to them to Mm -hmm. shape the future. We should all get involved. Space should be for all of us. And it is the human future in space is the human future. There's really only one other development that I think technologically matches it, and that's artificial intelligence.
1: I'm thinking this is what Arthur C. Clarke and stanley kubrick we're talking about there when they made space odyssey yeah (laughs) because yes yes right Uh, well yeah these these things are are very interconnected and i'm yeah i'm amazed how many things sort of sort of come up like for example james lovelock right and in the gaia hypothesis this great environmental idea that that really uh helped inspire the idea well the environmentalist movement but also the idea of going to mars and terraforming And this all came from, yeah, modeling climates based on planet Earth to help us understand Mars and other planets better. So, well, actually, yeah, that that provides the perfect segue into what I was going to ask next. And you, you touched on it there. So there's, yeah, quite a few people who think that access to space, going to Mars and so forth means we can stop worrying about Earth and keep growing and consuming and polluting indefinitely there are also a lot of people who worry that the idea of going to space like promoting the idea of humanity in space in the future is encouraging that yes i've seen this now from uh, from both sides of it and of course the the idea that going to space at all steals focus from our problems here on earth right. i mean how many times have you been asked shouldn't we fix earth's problems first
2: every time i do a podcast
1: right yeah <laughs> Oh, and yes, I hate that question because it's like on the one hand, well, good that you raised it, but on the other, why does everybody raise it? So in fact, the the real point here is that going to space helps us appreciate earth more because right. there's really no place like it out there that we know right. of, right?
2: Right. Yeah. I believe that I believe that the overview effect is a great example of how space exploration really relates to earth Many people have heard the statement that astronauts have made, which is that we thought the purpose of our mission was to go to the moon, but it was really all about the Earth. Joe Allen is the first astronaut I interviewed for the book. And he said, for all the arguments, pro and con, for going to the moon, no one said we should do it to look at the Earth. But that may, in fact, have been the most important reason. There's a a shift in awareness that is necessary here which is to break the dichotomy between earth and space the earth is in space let's be clear the earth has always been in space it will always be in space we are on a natural spaceship we are astronauts ourselves so you would never say the astronauts on the international space station should never go outside of the international space station They should stay inside. Well, wait a minute. How are you going to fix the solar panels if you don't go outside? Um, And uh, I've also compared it to the explorer fish in my book. Uh, There was this first fish that accidentally flopped up on land and started exploring land and saw, oh my gosh, water is not everything. And then she went back. And tried to explain to the other fish, hey, land, it's so cool. You should come explore with me. And the other fish said, ah, we got enough problems in the ocean. Why don't you just be a good fish? Well, that's kind of how the astronauts are viewed by some people. And the other point I would make is that I am not advocating the mindset of, hey, let's get off of the Earth so we can go trash Mars. No. I'm opposed to that. The Human Space Program, the Overview Institute, we're all against that. Our idea is let's have some of this astronaut consciousness so that the way we look at the Earth will be from a different lens. And let's also explore the rest of the solar ecosystem. But never forget, the Earth is in space, but it's also part of the solar system. So we're not leaving we're not leaving the Earth behind. That is the wrong-headed perception. And I'm not denying that some people do have that perception, but I think we have to work against it.
1: Yeah. In fact, I, I remember a statement Musk made, but people would be wrong to take that seriously or at face value. But yeah, he was saying, yeah, I'm, I'm moving to Mars, F-bomb the Earth, because basically it's got all these problems, and I, there are so many people <laughs> I want to leave behind. Don't take that literally, folks. <laughs> and yeah, uh, and of course, yes, it's like big picture here. Look what is being made possible with this and what, and the ultimate goal is to get more people to go into space and, and make it something that the average person can do. In fact, that's that is a, a statement that has been said by Branson, by Bezos, by Musk, by countless members of the new space industry, right? They're talking about... We want to increase accessibility to space.
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we want to democratize it. And the idea that it's just for the elite upper classes, well, from a business point of view, that doesn't make any sense at all. That would be like if the airline industry had stopped in the 1930s and said, we do not want anybody who can't pay $1,000 for a seat or whatever the number would have been in 1933. Obviously... The idea is that it would be better politically and economically to democratize access to space. That's what really should be the goal. And it should be space for all. There are people working on making sure that people with disabilities get to go and that nobody gets left behind. So a lot of this has to do with attitude in a way
1: that is uh that is the historic trend isn't it it's like when new technologies emerge the distribution is always well it's it's pretty much from the top down right something only a few yeah. can enjoy something more can enjoy and but market forces do dictate it's like no this has to be something that the vast majority of people can get at can't ever ensure that 100 percent of people are going to have access at all time but
2: yeah I mean you know, we're still working on access to the internet for everyone on the earth. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we're working on that is through satellites. So I think that humanity is always going to strive or always going to have a struggle between allowing the freedom to innovate and the freedom to benefit from innovation versus equity. And that is to say, how do, you, how do you make sure the innovation is available for everyone? And that is a struggle happening on the Earth. But it's also something that space advocates, at least my colleagues and I, we believe that should be something we deal with before we get too far down the road. That's why what we're doing today is so important, because we're really at the beginning of this era, and we can shape it in any way we want. And it can go in a positive direction or a negative direction. We do have the choice.
1: Well, I got to say, uh, one thing that I love about talking about the overview effect and talking about, you know, the efforts of people like yourself is how closely they parallel the efforts of, of other groups. So, for example, are you, are you familiar with the Space Court Foundation?
2: Space Court? Yeah. I believe I have heard of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, their their efforts are aimed at um, dealing with space law, um, both both of course you know existing space law and which is very much uh, eclectic, and uh, it's it's a matter of different nations have different you know policies and so forth. Um, uh, on several matters, there are treaties that everyone respects, like the Outer Space Treaty, but there is so much. <laughs> That is not covered right now, and has to be in the near future. Because, like, well, commercial entities going to space, civilians going to space, and doctors going to space, and that's uh, that's a yet another one. The Kepler Space Institute is trying to develop certification for space medicine. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like this. This uh, all all indications are humanity is going to space in force in the near future and boy, do we have a lot of uh, work we need to do ahead of us or otherwise yeah. it, it's just going to be so messy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So do you, do you ever, do you ever, you know, let those kinds of fears enter your mind? Like, uh, Oh, it, it's going to be like the wild West out there. Does that um, ever come
2: up? All the time. Uh, first of all, <laughs> I should say, I teach at Kepler space Institute. So uh, oh, we you are, That's right. Oh, my God. (laughs) We are definitely... Uh,
1: Yes. uh, So, yes, uh, to the listeners, uh, yes. uh, Frank is going to be teaching a course through the Kepler Space Institute about the overview effect. Um, uh, Or or are you doing O'Neill cylinders?
2: No, I'm going to be doing a course on the overview effect, actually. Okay, yes. Uh, I
1: I saw another one about O'Neill cylinders, and and you mentioned him, so... (laughs) Well, I,
2: I, totally, I, always, I totally thought
1: that'd be possible.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, we won't be doing that course, but I will be teaching about uh, the overview effect. And I do some other courses there on uh, human performance and spaceflight and uh, several other topics where we get into the ethics, we get into the challenges. And uh, Kepler is really aligned with what we're talking about in the sense of, Democratization and all of that. So um, that that's really uh, you know an important. That's really an important new institution that is working to shape the direction here. So um, I think um, uh, the the question of the wild west is an important one because. For many years, the idea of the Wild West and the frontier was in fact a metaphor that space advocates used, and they used it as a positive metaphor. I think as we've come to understand the Western expansion more thoughtfully, we realize that for many people who were already living in the West, what was wild about it was that people came and took their land away. And, and uh, I've, I've mentioned uh, before a metaphor of, what if some people came and camped in my front yard and put tents down? And they said, wow, here we are at the frontier. And I go to my front door and I say, uh, th- this is not a frontier. It's a suburb. That's my front yard. Well, no. We call it the frontier, and this is where we're going to stake a claim to it. Well, that's kind of what my European ancestors did uh, to indigenous people, and my too. <laughs> and I regret that. I feel bad. I I wasn't there. I didn't do it. But I have to take responsibility for it. And increasingly, it's it's not a positive view, and it's like. People used to talk about space colonies. In my book, The Cosma Hypothesis, which is a part of the Overview Effect trilogy, I quote Vandana Singh, who's a professor at Framingham State University. Her ancestry is India. And she said, you know, colonization is not a positive word for people who were colonized. If you want to be inclusive, don't use that word. Mm-hmm. And, you know, frontier is a fine word. I mean, there are frontiers of medicine, there's frontiers of psychology, etc. But the Western frontier is not really a positive image anymore, in my mind. I think that's an issue that we really have to get beyond the language and what it means. Or unconsciously, we're going to create the Wild West to our regret.
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, the uh, Star Trek, for example, space, the final frontier, right? right? We're going out. We're brave explorers and conquerors. And well, of course, they had all that 60s, new age, prime directive stuff, but it was there. And so many times in hearing Kennedy himself, when he was talking about the Apollo program, new frontiers, conquering these new frontiers in space. He was alluding to exactly that, this idea of American westward expansion and manifest destiny. And others have, you know, raised the age of discovery, right? And Columbus. And it's like, yeah, we, we've got lots of romantic notions about what these people did. It's like, well, they triggered an age of genocide, slavery, plundering, and so forth. And yeah, he's like, maybe maybe, maybe other people have different opinions about how this period was yeah but uh, yeah it's absolutely true and 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 one thing i've noticed is that um in addition to dropping words like manned or unmanned right and say yeah crude or uncrude, yeah the colonization of space i've I've seen people transitioning to settling in space so Hmm. creating settlements uh, well, yeah, that's one I've, uh, I've, I've tried to do uh, a lot myself because it's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm familiar with colonial history and it's it,
2: not really these words, words at all. No. no,
1: these words sound bad in your ears for a reason, right? You're, you've, you've, you're well, learning. Yeah.
2: That's what keeps me up at night as far as what worries me is that Christopher Columbus, when I was growing up, Christopher Columbus was a heroic figure of exploration He, quote-unquote, discovered America, which we know isn't true now. And we have Columbus Day, which is fast fading into history. And even Columbus, Ohio, did not celebrate Columbus Day recently. They celebrated Indigenous Peoples Day. I am very concerned that 500 years from now, my descendants will look back and they'll say, Frank White. I think he meant well, but he, uh, he missed a lot of things, and he made a lot of mistakes, and he's not a hero, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not that I want to be a hero, but I also do not wish to be a villain. I would like to see this period of exploration, which I do believe in. I believe exploration is a good thing, but I'd like to see it uh, with the minimum amount of exploitation. How do we do that? Well, again, it's a balancing act, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and the opportunities for doing bad things, it's like they're, they're, there's no shortage of them out in space. I like no. to think that um, it's like one of the benefits is, is that if we go to Mars, we go to the moon, we, we create settlements there. Well, we're not stealing land from any people or indigenous life forms. But then again, I, I, I can't say that with certainty. We no. Establishing a base on Mars or altering the planet it's like if there is indigenous bacteria simple life that evolved billions of years ago destroying it however accidentally would be an immeasurable loss so yeah that, that too the the ethics of it right also have to be uh,
2: addressed this is the way the human space program is going to work we we have an ethics task force and we're going to ask that task force to consider things like terraforming mars Because I don't know about you, but when I think about making Mars more like Earth, that doesn't really excite me personally. I like Mars the way it is. Uh, I think it's really an amazing planet. If we terraform it, that's it. It's never going to be the Mars that it is today. Do we have the right or do we have the responsibility To make Mars more Earth-like so more people can live there? I'm not going to answer that because that's the kind of thing that I want the Human Space Program team to, to debate and come up with a response to that. However, I will ask you, Matthew, how many people on Earth are pondering that question today?
1: They are a tiny minority of the whole, but there there are quite a few. I know for a fact there's <laughs> many, but um, yeah.
2: But uh, in a population eight. of 8 billion, mm-hmm. not many, I, I think, you know. No. So yes. <laughs> it, if we do this irreparable harm, and then our descendants are going to look back and say, yeah. why, did, why did you do that? You know,
1: mm-hmm. why did you mm-hmm. do that? Well, Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, needless to say, we've, we've got a long way, uh, a lot of maturing that we would right. need to do. But, yeah, that uh, yeah that is uh, that is one of the best reasons to go to space, right? <laughs> to, right. to have that experience. Um, do you think in the uh, not-too-distant future, and would the Overview Institute, you know, be in on this, uh, that with prices, uh, with the cost of going to space dropping, that this is something that that people could actually organize. And it's like, we, we're not simply paying, we're not paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for a seat on uh, Unity 2, or one of Jeff Bezos's uh, new shepherds or, um, or what have you. But yeah, we're actually, it's going to be something where people can go to space almost as easily as they go to say an amusement park.
2: I think so. And, and I think another piece of the puzzle we haven't discussed is having a destination. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a member of the Advisory Council for Orbital Assembly Corporation. Uh, OAC is building essentially private space stations. Uh, Voyager Space is also building one, as is Blue Origin, And I think one of the reasons that we'll start to see prices drop is, first of all, launch costs are going down. We already know that. Rockets are becoming reusable. We already know that. But it's going to be more attractive to people if they have somewhere to go. You can call it a space hotel if you wish. But the point of it is, If you are not just going on a short ride, but you are going somewhere and spending time there, then it's gonna be more attractive, more people are gonna wanna do it. And demand, in addition to technology, right? Which will lower launch costs and the cost of going to orbit, um, the demand will be there and demand and supply, that's what really sets prices. I think it's remarkable, if you think about it, Matthew, there's still 600 people who've signed up for a Virgin Galactic flight, and they've signed up at a very expensive rate. Think about if the prices drop, and this is Branson's goal, if the prices drop, the demand is going to be very, very high. And also... One of the things that worried me was I wasn't sure what people were going to say when they came back from short trips like the Blue Origin trip, which is very brief. However, people are coming back with a very positive statement about it. And the Shatner uh, experience, which has gotten a lot of attention, I could talk till I'm blue in the face, pardon the pun, Uh, but uh, (laughs) – You know, uh, Shatner going on a Blue Origin flight and coming out in tears and, and saying to Jeff Bezos, everybody on the Earth needs to have this experience. Mm-hmm. That is going to be very appealing to people to want to go.
1: Yeah, I'm, I did not realize you actually were, uh, were with Orbital Assembly. I, for listeners who may not be familiar, yeah, that started as the Gateway Foundation.
2: They, uh, I believe that the history is not my expertise, but that sounds right.
1: Yeah, and that was yeah years back. They they went public, and their plan has evolved. They've created Orbital Assembly as their space manufacturing arm, and their plan is to build a pinwheel station in orbit called the Voyager Space Station. And it's yeah, it's going to have all these modules where you can put a hotel in there, put a research thing in there. And you mentioned this uh, already there. Jeff Bezos wants to build the orbital reef. I remember seeing designs there, and it's, uh, it's a microgravity environment. It's not going to rotate to provide artificial simulated gravity. But, uh, yeah, I believe that's part of the appeal, right? People want to go into space and float around for a few days. I've,
2: okay. written about, I've written about Orbital Assembly's plans, and one of the things I've pointed out is Yes, people might want to be in microgravity for a few days or a week, but you're not going to get large-scale space migration without some kind of gravity. I've likened it to when my father was in the army, and he was sent to Germany, and my mother and I went to join him, and we were on a base of 25,000 Americans, and we had all the amenities that we were used to. We had grocery store, we had football field, we had a bowling alley, we had a you know movie theater. It was uh, twenty five thousand people uh, living in another country, but with things they were accustomed to. And certainly, there are going to be people who are willing to live in challenging environments and essentially to be the first. Responders, if you will, uh, and to put up with things that aren't very comfortable. But if you want families to start living out there, if you want all kinds of people, including, you know, this people with disabilities, as we talked about before, if you want to have large communities of humans, you're going to have to have some sort of stability, like some kind of gravity. Uh, you know, you're certainly going to have to have protection against radiation. There, there are a lot of uh, a, a lot of things that NASA astronauts don't want or need that other people will want and need, or you're not really ever going to have large scale space migration.
1: Yeah. Well, let's say that's it's probably a perfect place to end because I feel we could talk for hours about that. And yeah, I was very interested to learn there that Jeff Bezos actually studied at the the feet of of O'Neill because when he talked about habitats in space and having up to a trillion human beings living in the solar system just off-world, the thing that immediately came to mind was O'Neill cylinders.
2: (laughs) You know, for a fact, I I don't know for a fact if he actually was contemporaneous with O'Neill. I don't think he was because... Bezos was five years old when Apollo landed. So he might have overlapped with O'Neill a little bit, but he was certainly highly influenced by O'Neill, and he's open about that. And he certainly is advocating the O'Neill vision of the future. But one last thing I would say, the O'Neill vision of communities in free space is really important to having a very light footprint on Mars because you could get a lot of people in O'Neill communities and putting a lot of people on Mars may not be a good thing for Mars so it the O'Neill idea may be good for the solar system as well as for Earth
1: yeah and that certainly is a good goal to have for the renewed era of space exploration and if in fact there is a new frontier out in space that's that's a good policy to have it's like we're we're doing the frontier thing again this time let's do it right well thank you folks for listening and i urge listeners to check out frank white's book the overview effect and the overview institute and also orbital assembly and thank you frank for coming on and we hope to have you back in the meantime This has been Stories from
0: Space. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Stories from Space podcast with Matthew Williams. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with Our Conversations, Sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.